Welcome to Faith Restructured. I'm Cole. And I'm Mike. Here we cover topics on faith, deconstruction, and reconstruction. We discuss books that have helped us through the process, and we'll interview some friends and experts along the way. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Wow. You probably weren't expecting this. We just had Shane Claiborne here on the podcast two weeks ago. And now we've got another guest, one of our favorites. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast, but um, just really blessed to, to have him join us. Justin McRoberts, we got the opportunity to interview him um, last week. And so this is just our conversation with him. Mike and I are very pleased with it and, and really, really just excited that, that he, he was uh, willing to share what he was with us. Yeah, if you know anything about Justin, either from before us or as a result of listening to us, he is um, one of the most uh, poetic people I, I follow <laughs> in kind of Christian realms. Like um, he's often probably most popularly known for his prayers that he kind of puts out either on social media and he's published a couple books with Scott Erickson and Scott the Painter. And he just writes these beautiful like 20 word prayers that kind of capture all kinds of emotions that you often don't know how to put into words, but they're so true. Um, and I think that comes through in this interview, like as we're asking him questions and, and trying to like dial in our own excitement of like, Oh my goodness. Like one of the people, you know, we're often trying to ask some of our guests, like who's shaping your faith and Justin, someone that is shaping both of our faith. So the fact that he was able to be on here, is just kind of bizarre. Um, <laughs> but to be able to ask him questions about um, the church and faith and what does all of this look like and to hear just these nuanced answers and humor and hard <laughs> stuff too. Like it was just so what I expected from him, uh, but it was kind of surreal being able to have the opportunity to talk with him too. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Here we go. Well, welcome, Justin. Thanks for being here. Uh, pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Trying to figure out the best way to introduce you to our audience right now and uh, people that might not know who you are or, sure. or maybe they do. So one of the questions that Cole likes to ask in general is like when you're on an airplane sitting next to a stranger that's like particularly talkative, or maybe you're the talkative stranger. Um, yeah. How do you describe that? I, I am the talkative stranger. Maybe that's the way I introduce myself. My name is Justin <laughs> yeah. Roberts. And I'm a professionally talkative stranger. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So like, so when you are that person uh, or the talkative person in the Uber pool, like how do you introduce yourself or how do you describe what you do? Because, you know, for me, I first, in, uh, first encountered your work through some of the collaborative stuff you've done with uh, Scott, um, with the prayer books. And I know that you're a musician and I know you do all kinds of stuff. So yeah. uh, how would you describe that? If I'm meeting someone for the first time and they don't know anything from anything, I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to make a whole bunch of assumptions. And so I'll just say something along the lines of like, I'm an author. Okay. Okay. Um, Cause that's a recognizable thing. Um, uh, it's a, it's like a doorway into, cause that's usually how you run into somebody, right? It's like, Oh, cool. I just got this person's record. And then you listen to their record and they're like, Oh, cool. You like this. And then you find out like, Oh, 
she writes books. So she's kind of an author too. Wait, she does webinars on how to interact with predators online. Who is this human, right? Like, (laughs) but if you came in and it was like this menagerie of descriptions, you know, so I usually just tell people I'm an author and kind of stick with that. And then if, as the conversation goes on and they become increasingly confused, as I mentioned, other things that I do, I try to clarify. Yeah, for sure. And you just finished, you just put out your most recent book, right? Uh, It is what you make of it. It is what you make of it in June. Yes. So with kind of COVID protocols and stuff, like, has that changed the way that you've been kind of putting that work out there? Like, I don't know if you typically would do like seminars about the book or things like that. What does that look like? Um, it's changed to some degree. Like I, like I'm doing, I, I ended up having to do a little bit less than I normally would, but I'm doing the same thing. So, um, I was respectful, uh, of the need to be safe, um, through, you know, from March of last February, March of last year, I also did my best to maintain partnerships with people. And so I, uh, travel a little bit uh, i'm picking the ball up quite a bit now mm. um to like to somebody make up for lost time but uh, <laughs> but I started doing a lot more coaching so i started working with pastors and artists who are um professionally personally theologically socially economically having to reinvent so kind of in line with mm. your podcast theme um as a lot of things uh changed or just flat out went away or things got redefined in terms of what what does it mean to be an artist uh what does it mean to be a pastor as a lot of those things went away i wanted to be faithful to their reconstruction deconstruction reconstruction process Mm. and so i was able to use i have been able to use stories from the book which was the intention of dropping the book at this season was this will be a helpful resource over the next well (laughs) long time (laughs) <laughs> the season we're in won't end when we get whatever it means for us to get COVID worked out. Like we, like that's not when it ends. Like the, the yeah. COVID season institutionally, professionally, specifically in religious spaces, it didn't cause as much as it revealed. Mm. Um, a lot came to light. It was an apocalyptic. It has been an apocalyptic moment and season. Hmm. And uh, I dropped the book in an effort to provide some handles. So yeah, the title of the book is It Is What You Make of It. And I, I I got it when it came out. And I know it's in response to the common phrase that like me, my family and my immediate friends all live off of, or we did. <laughs> um, it is what it is, which like on multiple levels, like sometimes it's funny to say it, sometimes, you know, it's become a meme and all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons. But yes. can you just say a little bit about your heart behind the title and kind of reframing that kind of perspective on life and faith and everything in between yeah it is simple yeah sure it is what it is (laughs) is a really easy way to uh to do uh to skate around really complicated and and difficult things in other words it's easier to say it is what it is than to make the confession that you're powerless Mm. um it's easier to say it is what it is uh instead of make the confession uh, that uh, you need to fundamentally change. Um, mm. It's easier to say it is what it is than it is to say, I actually don't know what it is. Mm. Um, nothing is what it is. Uh, literally nothing. Like, there's nothing in all of human experience that is simply a matter of 
uh, a fact. Everything is a matter of having been shaped by some force, some will, some agenda, some power or other. That is, oh, there's agency at hand at all times. And so even when we come up against things like systemic racism and misogyny, um, these mon seemingly, and at times truthfully, monolithic realities have been shaped by the force of will and power over the course of years, decades, eons. Um, and it's important for me as a person who's used to power. I'm a white, I'm a straight white male. I'm used to having power. And so when, I'm, when I come up against something I can't move, I say something like, it is what it is, <laughs> which is me projecting. That's me, that's me like recognizing my moment of powerlessness and projecting it onto the situation. The reason, that, the reason I can't move that is because it can't be moved. Right. As opposed to saying, the reason I can't move that is because I'm powerless against it, mm. um, which is different. So it is what it is truncates human growth. It truncates the redemptive process. It truncates creativity. It truncates relationship. There's literally nothing good about it. Mm. Yeah, that I'm... As I was reading, uh, I have the book as well. And as I was as I was reading through it, then you kind of go through the rest of your your day and your life, and and you just find how often you you just say that little phrase, and you're like, man, <laughs> when somebody puts their finger on something that that uh, kind of like you said, just is is not the right way to frame something. Uh, you yeah. just realize how much uh, room for growth there is. Uh, Good, and, and I like to move that. in a different area. I'm yeah. glad that's how that happened for you. So. Uh, one of the other things you do is you have your own podcast um, where you bring on some guests, you have some little reflections and things like that, that are, they're great. One of the pieces I love about the um, interviews that you do is you have the, the little practice of lexicon, you call it, or, or the word yes. association. Yeah. And so if you all, you're always asking other people, these questions, I'm hopeful that you're, you'll be willing to, to participate yeah. in your own thing here. A, a little, little bit. bit of my own medicine as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So <laughs> uh, I'm just going to throw some words out there and I, and I'd love to hear uh, kind of your reflection on them um, or, or sure. how you, how you associate with them. So the first word is prayer. Prayer is the ongoing ever present conversation between you and God, the divine, the creator of all things. Um, it is a constant reality. It is uh, a thing that I can be awoken to or wake myself up to. Hmm. It's a thing I can, it, it is a way to talk about the practice of the thing, but the essence of prayer is the love of the creator uh, for creation, for humanity, uh, which is to say it is, it's unbreakable. Uh, it's not forged by creative expressions of prayer. It's not uh, it, it doesn't happen when I decide it's going to happen. It's happening. Mm. Uh, and I can become, I can practice it better. Uh, I can become more attuned to it. Um, but prayer is in essence, the love of God expressed in connection with humanity. Oh, love that. That's great. Um, how about doubt? Uh, doubt is a way to talk about, um, the essential, uh, posture of unknowing. Uh, hmm. like doubt isn't a real thing. Doubt is, uh, which isn't to say we don't have doubts, but doubt isn't a, a thing. Like doubt is not, I don't have a doubt. What I have is I have, set, I have a set of questions that I don't hmm. have sufficient answers for. Uh, so doubt is a way to say like, I'm in a process that I don't, I don't know the end of, or hmm. that I have questions. I'm not sure 
I either I have questions that I'm not sure I have answers for, or I have questions that I have answers for that I really freaking don't like. And so I'm going to say, <laughs> right. I doubt. Um, but doubt in and of itself is not a reality. Uh, it, it's not a thing in the same way that like this coffee mug with this cup in it. Like th these are actual things. Doubt mm. is a way to talk about the absence of a thing that I want or need existentially, mentally, emotionally, theologically, otherwise. Great. What about joy? Uh, joy is an, is an essential element to the full life. Uh, it might be the most essential element to the full life. Joy is the oftentimes the most <laughs> uh, tragically missing element in what we mean when we say success. Mm. Um, a joy is the thing that actually moves us into relationship uh, and moves us into work. Uh, it's a thing that can be harnessed um, and cared for, but ultimately it's a thing that springs from the depths of the human soul and motivates everything else. All right. You're just crushing these right now. So here's the last one. Then we'll, we'll move on to the next uh, little section of our, our show. But um, how about art? Art, uh, I use Seth Godin's definition of art. Art is anything that I create that forges a connection between people. Those people can be me and me. Uh, those people can be me uh, to some degree. There's a pretty significant limitation of that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, art is anything I create that or make that forges a connection between people. Those people can be me and me to a degree, can be me and someone else. And it can also be me and, and, and God, the divine. The, the mm. trick with the me and me part of it is that's a really intentional process. Uh, if I'm creating something that really is uh, like I'm trying to make a connection within myself, mm. um, it has to be pretty intentional. What I don't mean by that is that if I make something just because I feel just as a matter of self-expression, uh, then I sort of tuck it away. That's more like journaling. And that's not mm. a bad thing. Um, but if I'm not really forming an actual connection, making connections, I don't, I don't feel comfortable calling it art. Art is anything I create that forges a connection between people. So for you, that shows up in a ton of different ways, right? We just yes. talked about that. The podcast, you have the prayers on Instagram, you have the prayer book, you have the, the books and all those different things. Um, would you say a lot of those are you are are you connecting with others or are, are, is a lot of that work you for you? No, if I'm doing something secretly, it's secret, <laughs> which is the thing I was challenged to by uh, a mentor of mine, just to be cautious of mm. that because I'm posting prayers and like wisdom reflections, like it can seem very, and it is oftentimes it's very personal, mm -hmm. but it's really important that I'm not posting stuff that I'm just in process for me, that I'm just mm -hmm. in process about. That's not, I don't know that that's necessarily a universal truth. Uh, that like, let's not process, let's not process out loud as much. Mm -hmm. I would, I generally warn artists and pastors against processing out loud in general too much. Um, but if it's front facing, if it's, if, if I'm making it public, it is for other people. Okay. Uh, and the stuff that's like between myself and God, I try to leave between myself and God. It's sort of in the same way that like you have special things with special people. And like, that's a game I play, like, I, you know, you know, things I do with my kids, whatever, like, right. But that's for them. And that's not for everyone else. Um, or, you know, pet names or whatever that happens in relationships. Like, yeah, don't <laughs> call her Pookie. Like, why would you call, you call me? I'm Pookie, jerk. Right. 
so there there are ways in which like interpersonally i'm there are practices that i have or expressions i have that are just mine mm. um and between me and, and the divine but if it's front facing i'm intentionally putting that in the world for other people sweet yeah that's that's really um a helpful way of reframing it especially you know as much as people can critique the internet critique you know 2021 culture of how we express ourselves online and create personas i think it's sometimes always cast in a negative light and not pointing to all the gr- the good that can be done by expressing ourselves through those mediums sometimes to complete strangers oftentimes um yeah. I, I wonder in your role like all of the different hats that you wear and sometimes i don't even like that analogy because it just seems like you're putting on a new disguise <laughs> but all the different yeah. ways that you're expressing kind of your experience of of the world of the divine like i, I do personally struggle with this so i'm fascinated to hear your answer just how do yeah. you balance that tension of being someone that wants to to um express something kind of in an outward way to to help others in that process whether it be prayers or whether it be answering i, I love when you do like the ask any questions about art spirituality faith etc and then you're yeah. just kind of going off and kind of helping people through their own processes most of the time i assume complete strangers how do you balance that internal um I guess, motivation between like, am I doing this for the sake of people like in a good sense or in a bad sense? Right. Yeah, I don't always know. So, uh, and I have to do it anyways. Like Mm. I I gave up on the idea of having completely pure motivations a long time ago. Um, (laughs) Like I'm okay with the fact that uh, like, as an example, um, like with the Q and A, at times, like I'll get a question and I'll answer it and be like, I really like, <laughs> I really like that answer, <laughs> and I really like that that's in me. Like I, I like that on the other side of some of the work I do, I like myself better. And so in the past, um, to some degree, because of some odd like Christian but not quite Christian puritanical moralistic garbage, uh, <laughs> me me enjoying myself in my work was a bad thing. Um, like if you're not suffering and miserable, it's probably not from the Lord it was sort of, it was sort of like the thing. Yeah. Like, and what I've come to is like, no, I really like, I enjoy, did we lose him? Oh, what I've oh, come sorry. to is like, I really, like, I really, uh, I, I enjoy my work. Um, and I enjoy connecting with other people. I like myself in the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And because I wasn't trained in that, like that wasn't part of my pastoral training was like, how much, how much do you like yourself right now? Like that was never a course I took uh, through the evangelical covenant church. Like, okay, as you become a pastor, <laughs> as you become a pastor, do you like you? Like that wasn't one of the things, mm. which is why you find so many pastors are like actually miserable, don't like themselves, are right. really happy just being a tool in the Lord's tool belt. And they're like, you're depressed and you're going to quit in a year. Um, yeah. I like, I don't, I don't buy the whole pure motivation thing. What I buy is that if I remain faithful to my, to my process uh, and to the disciplines that are available to me, um, that I am, I am in a, a work. I, I am doing a work and my work makes me a part of a work that is bigger, that is richer, that is more comprehensive and better than I can possibly imagine. And I think I'd rather just trust the Lord to, to sort out the things in me. If I'm faithful to that process, like in the spirit, then I don't need to hit the brakes so much. I can just try 
and allow grace to bridge the gap between what I'm capable of and what I'm not capable of. It's a little bit, it's a little bit like that Metallica record from a long time ago. It's like, kill them all, let God sort them out. Um, <laughs> is like, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go hard and uh, trust God to work out in me the things that need to be worked out and then be faithful to that process along the way, as opposed to being like, yeah, I know that I'm conflicted, so I probably shouldn't do this. Mm. Yeah, there are probably times when that conflict is really like, if, if it's like, I, I want to go do this project and I know that I want to go to this project because there's this person there I really want to meet. Like if, 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 <laughs> if it's like abundantly clear, like, oh, you're just being kind of a jerk, then yeah. But if it's just like, I just know that I'm conflicted in my motives, you will always be conflicted in your motives. You, and you mm. just can't, that, you cannot, cannot let that stop you from trying your best. Hmm. Well, that's uh, really a, a really great way of putting that. I really appreciate that. Let's and just especially... stop for a second because this is exactly what what I know. Being Mike's friend for I don't know ten years now, this is exactly what Mike needed to hear. Well, then, yeah, then, let me, then, then we put then, let me put the coaching cap on the thing. Is like you know the only people who really ask that question are folks who actually have the character to ask that question. Yeah. And the fact that the question's in your head at all means you'll be faithful to the moment when it arises. Mm-hmm. Like folks who don't have good hearts and don't motives don't like they don't they don't ask that question they're not concerned about it. like they're yeah. they're like they're just gonna go and but folks who ask that question are folks who are like you're aware of it and all you will ever be is aware of it hmm. and then you'll catch it in the moment so you are exactly where you're supposed to be and you are exactly who you're supposed to be in the moment and you'll be fine. I so think now, Mike, a... go do the damn work, Mike. Go get it. <laughs> go get it. Fair. Get on it, Fair. son. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Everyone hears it here first. All right. I'm I'm in process. So, all right. I, this is a good segue because between that answer um, of doing the work and even your word association with art, um, you know, I, the title of the podcast is Faith Restructured. And we've told you a little bit about what we mean by that. But yeah. we're wondering if you could share a little bit about um, your own story. Uh, again, in, in light of your answer to art is the ability to connect with other people on some on some level. Yes. So our our hope is to share these stories that enable other people to feel connected with. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about um, to use some of the language we use if it's helpful, but like what did your construction of faith look initially uh, look like initially? Was there a process of some kind of deconstruction, which again is this buzzword that is getting used probably more often than it should? necessarily um but was there this process of unlearning and what has the process of relearning or learning new things looked like so i'll start with a curveball which is like my my initial process of uh, of deconstruction began before i was uh any sort of follower of jesus at all mm. because i had really because i had really particular conclusions about mm god in the bible mm -hmm. jesus and religion like i was very confident as a 17 year old kid aren't we all uh, <laughs> about what the world was about and what god was about and i had that shaken up and i had to, i had to enter into a process of allowing those things to be deconstructed so my first my initial process entering into a practice of faith was a process of deconstruction i had an understanding of what the bible was i was wrong to a degree mm -hmm. I was incomplete in my knowledge. Uh, I had an understanding of what Jesus was about, and I was very incomplete in my knowledge. Um, 
et cetera. So I began there and then uh, like I followed a, a person. So the, the way I came in was there was a person in my life who was a young life leader and I really liked the way he lived his life. I didn't buy most of his conclusions, but I liked his life, mm. um, which by the way, is the ball game. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the whole ball game is like, if your answers don't make you a better person, I don't care how right you are. So um, he was just this incredible and wonderful and loving and patient person. And I wanted to be those things. I hadn't seen a whole ton of that in adults. Uh, followed him into uh, what has been an ongoing conversation. So Dave was never someone who, uh, he actually texted me this morning, uh, the same person. This is when I was like 18. I met him when I was 13. I started following him as he followed Christ at 18. He texted me this morning with this like scripture reflection he wanted me to like spend some time on. Um, and I, I just, I entered into a long conversation with someone who was really clear that he didn't have answers for me. He had, he's like, he wanted to help me in my own process. So after that initial deconstructive moment or season, it's really been kind of a long, um, it's been a long process of like, I, I rarely come to these peaks where I've got these conclusions and these sets of, uh, uh, of certainties that then have to fall apart uh, in order to move to the next season. And that's because of the way I came in the door, which is to say this, if we're actually talking about deconstruction um, in, in the traditional Western philosophical sense, it, it begins with the confession. There are three elements to it. It begins with the confession that I want there to be a fundamental meaning that I recognize that as a desire in me. And then secondly, it comes with a confession that I've tied up whatever that fundamental meaning is in particular words. That, I, that when I say these words, it automatically, like I've associated this fundamental meaning core, whatever at the center of my life or the universe, I've, I've directly associated it with a set of words that it's a matter of language. And then the third part is I recognize that those the, that language is limited and that I'm in conflict with myself and with others because of the language that I'm using to reference this fundamental thing that I think is or that I want to be true. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to be true that the Bible worked a certain way. I used certain language about the Bible as a 17, 18 year old kid. And then I've actually been undoing a lot of that for years and years and years. And then I come to those moments where like, I'm pretty sure about something-ish, but because of the way I was trained, I try not to hold on to those conclusions very tightly because they never serve you all that well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or, for not, or, or for not very long. And so like, that's really been my, it's been my journey. And in every context that I found myself in, uh, you know, from being a young on Young Life staff and the set of terms that I needed to understand to, to live in that culture and live faithfully had to shift and change when I started traveling. And now all of a sudden I find myself in the South and they don't like the word crap. And like, it's just as bad as all the rest of them. I'm like, Oh, that's weird. And then it becomes this whole other language thing about what I mean when I talk about God, or if I say the divine instead of God and all the things that get set off or what I mean by the, by church. And then when I shift into, you know, advocacy and it becomes about poverty and like the set of terms, what does it mean to be human? What does success mean? all these words over the course of time and seasons and, and contexts end up having to be reshaped, renamed, which is why I do the practice of lexicon with folks. It's like what mm -hmm. you say, when you say the same word I'm saying is probably something different, at least to a degree. And that's not actually a problem. Uh, that's an invitation into relationship and process and wisdom. I love that. And I, I love uh, that language of when I'm pretty sure about something, 
ish. Because um, because that I mean a healthy humble view of self and view of the divine requires ish on the end yes. of of any claimed certainty or platitudes and um, even the ones we try our best to to kind of build our house on uh, we yeah. do need to to have a realm of ish in there the realm of ish <laughs> yeah that'll be my first book um Good. I like that. <laughs> right. great yeah. title i don't want to you know as you said like the the deconstruction side for you started before faith and and i don't want you to share stories that that maybe aren't yours to share but you've you've talked about like covid and what it's done over the past year to other pastors and other leaders and maybe you can just share some of the the overarching themes that you've seen uh that that pastors and and speakers and uh artists have had to to overcome over the past year uh yeah i mean the the dominant the dominant conversation has had to do with uh like institutionally culturally uh the has had to do with like how reliant we i don't use the word we a lot so i'm going to throw myself right now in the hat like i'm going to throw myself in the ring with other um pastor types of my ilk so hmm. predominantly men uh predominantly white uh predominantly somewhere in the evangelical the mainline denominational space and predominantly yeah. tied to very specific denominations and, and congregations who've either built something or helped to maintain something institutionally. This is mm. so it's, it's somewhat narrow when I say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not we, all of us. And I mean, black people too, because I don't. <laughs> um, I mean uh, that a lot of us ha have had to come to um, a humble and very difficult recognition that we are very dependent upon our machinery. Hmm. Uh, and that that the dependency and this is the harder part the dependency that we have on our machinery actually exposes a lack of trust we have in the work of christ established in us as persons um that's been very difficult because when when the crap hit the fan and folks couldn't gather a lot of the conversation shifted into like what other machinery is available to us um, and Zoom was a was an available machinery, and I'm not saying it was a bad thing. It was like, but how many folks took, how many folks took a serious survey of the actual human capacity within their own their own selves and their own relationships to say this is still this is what it means for me to pastor, this is what it means for me to lead. It wasn't a bad choice to move our church services online. Mm -hmm. And there were several places where there was conversation about like, how do we, how do we continue to meet in person in some way, shape or form? And I get that it was difficult, <laughs> but the overwhelming majority of the conversation had to do with the shifting of machineries hmm. and how do we replace this one piece of machinery with a new different piece of machinery, which to me screams of dependency. Hmm. Uh, and that dependency is almost always uh, rooted in a lack of confidence in one's own like self and the work established in them. Hmm. That's been the main theme. That's been what I've, what's it's the thing among pastors I've been uh, coaching in and around since March of last year. Yeah. And it almost feels like that, that machinery, even though we always say like, it's not like, we don't know, we don't judge it by numbers or numerically, but 
we really do. Um, and so now we have to find these new places where the numbers, I mean, in COVID world, we're just like, not, <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't trust them. Right. And you and, never should uh, have anyways. I mean, that was the trick. Exactly. It's like, you, you know, you never should have trust. You could like, not, but not entirely like, that's fine. Know how many people are showing up at your gatherings. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like do that. But outside of just like the, the really simple critique of, you know, don't be like amazon.com, like let Amazon be Amazon. They're better at it than you are anyways. <laughs> yeah. uh, like go, like, you know, your numbers, but don't bank everything on your numbers. Know, know your numbers well enough to know, like you got to make rent and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but also pay attention to the stuff that's happening beneath the service and make those real actual metrics for growth and success. Mm-hmm. Um, change our definitions of growth and success. <laughs> you should never actually trust, trust numbers. They're tools. And they, <laughs> and they ultimately, uh, the numbers mean what you make them mean in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that, if you've got a congregation of 12 and most of those people are in their seventies, um, depending on where you're standing, that could mean your church is a failure, or that can mean like, you're the most loving pastor in the freaking Valley. And you're willing to spend your time with folks who have between five and eight to maybe 10 years of life left in their bodies and that's what you're mm. going to give your time to you're a freaking hero yeah. so your numbers mean what you make them mean. you got a church of five thousand. that's rad is that because you're really really good at what you do or is that because you've sucked the life out of 14 other congregations within a five mile radius of your place mm. your numbers mean what you make them mean Sheesh. every single time yeah hmm. yeah I've, I've just found um one of the things that i did in the middle kind of coming out of the the big lockdown time was move jobs and uh i just found that that was one of the hardest shifts that that people couldn't make in their brains was like we got to move on from this this place of like how are we impacting people because they're showing up here and not how are we impacting the lives of people have we helped people's mental health over the past uh you know whatever year year and a half all that sort of stuff or is it that you know our numbers look different than they looked when we were mm-hmm. at the peak of our our thing um and we just couldn't i just felt like we couldn't make that shift and it was it was just really really hard and difficult um in both places, not, not necessarily, I'm not saying that because that's why I left, yeah. but, but no, yeah, no, it was that. just, it was just like one of the things that I, I noticed as I was making that transition. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. I'm piggybacking off of both of what you guys are saying. It, I mean, COVID was an easy example of how, um, <laughs> centuries old, if not longer, uh, cliches or statements that the church makes were all called into question. So we can say something like, everyone would say numbers don't matter, except that they do. And when you get your annual review and things aren't growing numerically, then there's a problem. But, um, you know, the initial lockdowns in the beginning of 2020, uh, there was a quick clinging to the church is not a building. The church is not a physical space. You know, know, we are the church. And then within three months of that, it's like, we all need to get back together because it's all about being together. And just this, this ebb and flow of trying to figure out, well, we've said these things for so long, but now that we're in a legitimate scenario where there's something at stake, we have to figure out what do we actually mean when we're just saying these things, which kind of goes back to uh, that practice that you do on your podcast. But truly, what do we mean to say when we say numbers aren't it? I, I attended a church in college once that said it's not about numbers, but um, he references the one uh, miracle where the disciples catch X amount of fish. Like, I don't even 
700 or it's a very specific odd number. And I know that the early church does all kind of uh, pneumatology with that, but yeah. th their whole shtick was, uh, you know, and every one of those fishes had a name and every one of the names had a story. <laughs> and it was just all about like, it was part of their big growth outreach of the month of June, you know, getting ready to, to do a bunch of, of outreach. The month to, of June, that's exactly yeah. right. So it's just like, those are the kinds and of things. And it's over because like, of July. We're not doing growth in July. Right. Now we're on to tithing. Um, so, you know, that's usually what happens midsummer. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, those are the kinds of things where it's like, we have to constantly um, observe our own, expectations and motivations because i think we do get into the routine of just accepting certain um mantras especially within our faith without always thinking carefully about what we're meaning when we're claiming them so yeah yeah and especially with the with you know words like growth um and this is part of the you know part of why i like what you guys are doing with the podcast is because it's because um my the right now the you know the book has a lot of applications a lot of them are hyper individual but when it comes to when it comes to the practice of church part of what i part of what i get to in the book uh, a bunch is that you, is the whole notion i'll use the phrase a bunch that you're you're what's next and and so when i say things like your numbers mean what uh what you make them mean when we talk about growth um, it's a, a couple I'm coaching, uh, they're a pastoral couple. They live in like Northern, Northern California. I live in Northern California. They're like five hours North of me. Mm. And, um, we've, we've worked through this wonderful, wonderful, like year and a half, but even before COVID in which like, they came to really recognize us and, and see like the beautiful, incredible work that Christ has actually established in, in them as persons. And that the, the best way to define growth for them as a congregation, as a church, is for them to just say, this is what I want to see happen. Um, that they're people of character who want good things for the people they're leading. And when they say growth, they get to decide what that means, which is to say there isn't a next thing coming. There isn't like, a, they are like the rest of us, exhausted of models, like they're exhausted of it. No one right now, no one right now, <laughs> no one right now is hoping to God that someone downloads a brand new Acts 20 something other model of like how to do church. No one wants that. Like literally right. no one. No one's hoping that like Mike Breen and 3DM like download a new schematic for life growth. And like no one's hoping that, you know, you know, that life groups have take on a different shape. And <laughs> like, like we're not like no one's wanting a new schematic literally no one and i think that's a truly spiritual cultural moment in which like there is no next thing coming there's no monolithic systematic programmatized thing on the way that we're going to get to attach to hitch our ride to and there was a season in which there were a lot of those and they were very helpful and they were useful it was fine mm -hmm. but that's not going to be true next what's going to be true next is like you're either a reliable person to whom uh, think good things have been passed along that you can pass along to reliable people. That's Second Timothy two two. It's either going to be about that purely, or you're going to be missing. Hmm. This is either going to be that you are the person leading the people you're leading, or you're going to be missing. Hmm. Uh, you are the thing that is next. So what does success look like for you as a person, not as some metric? Not as some like, well, these guys said that if we get the, the whole thing with numbers, I remember the thing was like, well, if it's 18 or more, then it's this. And if, if you get to 50, and then once you get to 55, 
That's like, gosh, <laughs> like, seriously? Like, why are you giving me these targets to hit? Like, I'm not even, <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to shoot those arrows. Um, there is no, there is no big schematic cool thing coming. Hmm. You're the thing, you are the thing that's been prepared through these seasons. And it's your turn to make those definitions your own and lead with them. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so maybe like as we shift now, like a little bit more into your work again, just to, to chat some about that. One of the things that I really appreciate about it is like, I feel like I can digest your work and it doesn't feel like there's an ulterior motive. It doesn't like feel political, mm -hmm. it, you know, in, in the um, pop culture sense. And, yeah. you know, whether it exists outside of that world or it's just something that you do purposefully, um, is that is that something you do intentionally or is, do you feel like that's just something that kind of wells out of you? Um, we were we were both on the, the one webinar you were part of. I can't remember the name of it, but you basically like that's not to say you don't speak into things. or You don't advocate for things because you were like. <laughs> like you want me to care about this, 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 and this, oh my gosh, I can't care about everything. Um, <laughs> yes. But I feel like your work almost in a sense transcends um, those smaller labels and, mm. and just exists outside of that. So is that something you do intentional or? Um, yeah, to yeah. some degree, I mean, um, there are particular things that you'll see me advocate for very specifically. I try not to, I try not to throw my uh, name in the hat all the time about everything for several reasons. Uh, one is like I can be I can be particularly helpful in, in, in some of the things that I care about, um, but I want it to be helpful hmm. as opposed to just noisy. And and it's been pretty noisy um, in general mm -hmm. uh, online, it's more increasingly so over the course of the last eighteen months. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't I don't want to just add to noise. I just I want to be helpful. Two uh, again recognizing my cultural space. I'm a 47 year old white guy. <laughs> um, I, you shouldn't a, a lot. If we're talking about, you know, the worthiness of black lives, if we're talking about, um, if, we're ta if we're talking about misogyny, if we're talking about the fact that like somewhere between six and 9% of pulpits in America are going to be filled by women while like 67 to 72% of the seats are filled by women. Like if we're going to talk about those things, like I, I can have some things to say, but it's probably more important that I leave a little bit of room at least please. So that like <laughs> women, people of color, uh, folks in the LGBTQ populace can like voice their own thing and we pay attention to folks. So we're not talking about people, mm. but we're talking with people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, when I'm asked questions directly, I'll do that, but I don't want to act like I'm an authority on blackness in America. Mm. I'll advocate and I'll pass along things that, that, you know, the, the Sean or Mike or whatever pass on, but I'd rather lift up voices in the dead center of those places. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not like a go-to leader, uh, among queer people of faith. But if you ask me questions about like, what's it look like to be gay and a Christian? I'd be like, I'll give you a truckload of resources of some very faithful and wise women and men who are doing a great job of leading queer communities in the direction of Jesus. Um, so if I'm asked, I, absolutely. I'm unashamed of the, of the answers I have in that direction. I'm just not in a position to like, pretend like I'm an authority. So I learned a little bit of wisdom in that. They're like, that's what it looks like for me to provide space. I'm not silent on things. I'm just, I wait till I'm asked. 
Yeah, we we were just kind of talking through that about in in the wisdom pattern. He he brings up like a list of people who've been able to. He he uses the example of like a cosmic egg and how you move between all these different versions of yourself, and um, <clears throat> and like one of the he made he had like this list of people, and in that list was Martin Luther King Jr. And we're like, we were talking about how like he kind of gets puppeted on MLK day by a lot of white evangelical fundamentalist groups as like, this is, this is what it looks like. But then we forget like, we're, yeah, we're the ones who still were, you know, chasing him down. Um, But like in that moment, we were also like, but it's important that we do point to the beauty of what, what MLK was. And that was somebody who advocated for civil rights and nonviolence at the same time and how that transcends kind of all of that stuff. And it's incredible. So, um, but yeah, like you said, just kind of waiting your turn to talk or, or, or only talking when you're asked can sometimes be a a really helpful tool. I really like, I really like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, along those same lines, like as we think about learning how to speak well with people or into situations where there's too much silence, right. Um, Or Hmm. um, and in our context, thinking about faith in particular and thinking about not, I guess, sometimes it can sound so negative that it's like, oh, there's nothing good that's ever happened. But recognizing and and pointing to the hurts that have been done that maybe people have been blind to in, you know, our country's iteration of Christianity, or, you know, one particular denomination or one particular time period. Um, What I have observed, what Cole's observed, and I think many people probably have on some level, is that often when some kind of process of deconstruction happens, that people typically come through the other side on a more progressive bent towards life or towards faith. Um, uh, Wondering if that's something that you also see. And if so, like, if you have any, I kind of, this is me asking you a question. (laughs) If, if maybe you've (laughs) noticed that trend and and if so, why you think that might be. Um, to some degree. So, and this will sound, I have, I do have a, this is not a critique of you. I do have a critique here and then I have a little bit of like a critique here and then a little bit of diagnosis. The critique is, um, part of the reason, uh, and I say this as someone who's identified as a progressive by a lot of folks, which is fine. I don't really care. Um, like, uh, part of the reason folks tend to end up in the uh, progressive camp on the on the other side of uh, a deconstructive process, is that it can be really threatening not to. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a great conversation with with Colby Martin, who's a pastor um, of a, an affirming community in San Diego, and he has this whole chapter in his book um, called Oh gosh darn it I can't remember what it's called right now Oh called The Shift, uh, in which he talks about like how damaging um, and, and mean, uh, progressive, uh, people can be mm-hmm. to folks who are in a process of progress, <laughs> like <laughs> that, that, that progressivism very simply, like once it is galvanized, it's no longer about process. It's a, it's a different form of fundamentalism mm-hmm. that you come to these conclusions about these issues, and then you can live in the camp of, of, you know, progressive. Yeah. And because, because, you know, the progressive spaces are faster going and tend to be a little bit louder online, more tech savvy, a little sexier, uh, it could, there's a, there's a fair amount of like cultural peer pressure to actually land over there. And for mm-hmm. a lot of folks, it's not really 
Mm-hmm. Um, so some of it, some of it is that there is a pressure to like become a progressive and identify with that. That was just like tribal fear stuff. Like I need to have a tribe. I've mm-hmm. left this space over here. I feel a little bit isolated. Here's another tribe. And they're kind of welcoming me in by basically by saying like, if you're not one of us, then you're part of the problem and you're stepping on the necks of, of black gay kids. Mm. So like, wow, I don't want to be that. So I need to come over here. So there's a bit of that. The other part of it is like when it is truly redemptive, there really is like, there's a beauty in saying there is more to this. Uh, there's more, to, if it's a truly, if it's a truly deconstructive process, there's a beauty and a goodness in saying there's, there's more to the, like, I do want there to be and, and trust in faith and believe in faith that there is a fundamental reality to the world that I call, and I will use the word God, I'll use the word divine, but I also know that when I say the word God, and this is deconstruction, when I say the word God, I say the word divine, I'm wrapping this thing, this thing, even the word thing, up in particular language that has particular cultural bents. And I know that there are limitations to that language. Mm. In, in a truly progressive stance, I recognize the limitations of the language I'm using, which means I can actually continue to hold that language mm-hmm. and, and hold it more loosely. I can adopt new language. I can be open to your language. So it's not always that someone comes around and is like, well, God is now a woman. Like, no, if, if, like, if you've landed there where like God is now a woman, if you, and if you use male pronouns for God, you're now in the bad camp. Okay, well, then you're just another fundamentalist. But if you're yeah. in a camp in which like, I'm still comfortable, which I am, I'm still comfortable like with the male, with male pronouns for God, for the divine. That's fine. It's fine. I'm a guy. I've got a son. Like, what do you want from me? But <laughs> like, but when I'm with folks who use the word she or them or whatever, they're sort of in, like, I've got tons of room for that. In my mind, that's like, a, like a more redempt, uh, 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 like a redeemed <laughs> and, and redeeming uh, progressive stance to say, I, I know that there are limits on my ability to grasp and express this, mm-hmm. which makes it beautiful that you have your own grasp and expression. And even in the places where we are actually in conflict and disagreement, that is because, and here's deconstruction, that is because our language puts us in tension and not yeah. the thing itself. It's not my relationship to the divine that is different so fundamentally from yours that makes you and I incompatible. It's the language we use to reference our experience of life, of ourselves, of one another. And mm. true deconstruction puts us in a position to say, the tension between us is a matter of language. And I will hold mine mo- more loosely because my relationship with you and with God is not only better, but it's <laughs> It's better than, than the words I use and it's deeper than the words I use. And it's more important than me getting my damned words right. Yeah. I, oh man, it's just so refreshing to hear. And when Cole, Cole and I kind of signed on to that seminar you did with Scott and um, a couple months ago, and uh, that's when we were like, dude, we got to get these guys on the podcast. Cause just <laughs> the way that you guys speak into this and we're not trying to you know puff you up cause you're here now, but no, it's just so that. refreshing to hear people reorient some of the false dichotomies and false uh, polarities because uh, the way that we talk about it, same thing kind of that you're saying is like often people leave one quote unquote side and they're using the same template. Like they say Mm -hmm. it's different. Like we're so upset with extreme fundamentalist conservatism and now they've taken away these lists of tenets and now they go to the other side and whoever they is, it can be us at different times in our lives too, right? Yes. But now we go, oh, well, you need to believe this list of tenets. And if you don't mm-hmm. do that, then you're automatically on the other side. And there's magically no area for growth, 
process, questioning, right. doubt, anything in between. Yeah. Hop in the fence. So, right. Yeah. It's um, it's fundamentally, no pun intended, less about yes. like the answers being chosen, but more this formula that's being worshipped in some level. Yes. Like, it's yes. still about I need to come to final conclusions on X, Y, and Z. Period. And if you don't agree with them, then then you're lost and you're the problem. And um, I just find that often in my own journey of faith, and as I observe kind of other people going through it, we have like a redactive memory where we forget that it took us 12 years to change on the issue of, I don't know, the death penalty and how that informs our faith. Or it took us eight years to change our view of, you know, women in leadership roles or whatever it may be, because you've been living in your present reality all along. You don't realize how long it took you to change. And now, and Cole talks about this a lot, you expect other people to make your eight year change overnight after one conversation over Instagram because of whatever current events are going on. It's like, that's just not an honest. Because because you're so one, because you're so convinced and two, because you trust the answer or your Mm. conclusion to do the work in someone else's soul, which like the, and this is, this is the trick, right? Is progressivism, fundamentalism, conservatism, liberalism. Okay, fine, whatever. That's not, this is not one of those like false equivalencies because there are some really, really terrible ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to some degree, some, some of the ideas held by any of those spaces, uh, held by people in any of those spaces are destructive and bad. They're not good ideas. But the real problem, the actual problem is that I won't let go of the idea, regardless of evidence to the contrary of its goodness. Mm-hmm. So the real <laughs> issue is not necessarily, yes, there are conclusions that people have come to you about the value of certain lives and about the, the, you know, the, the viability of like, the potential of faith in other lives. There are some conclusions people have come to in conservatism and liberalism that are just wrong. Hmm. And, th- and those are problematic. But more problematic than that is in light of evidence that you are hurting people, you are not willing to let go of your stupid idea for the Mm. benefit of another human life. And that's fundamentalism, which is to say the real enemy actually is fundamentalism. If I was less of a fundamentalist, my conservatism wouldn't be damaging. If I was less Mm. of a fundamentalist, my Mm -hmm. liberalism wouldn't make me such an elitist prick. It's fundamentalism (laughs) that actually actually drives ideology to be damaging and to ruin relationships and institutions. So what would you, is it just uncertainty? Like the, the comfort of being uncertain that, that helps with that? No, I mean, like no one likes being uncertain. I hate being uncertain. <laughs> but what, what the solve, not S-O-L-V-E, but S-A-L-V-E, the thing, the, the ointment that, that makes it feel a little bit better, like you're going to be wounded because you can't, you can't complete all your thoughts because you'll have to let go of things like the thing that makes that better is that you're in love with people you don't agree with mm-hmm. it's relationship i mean it's it's it that's it there's there's no there is no pathway forward uh out of <laughs> fundamentalist uh anything there's no pathway forward out of damaging ideology that is that is solely a, 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 an exercise of academic prowess mm. It's always, always, always about relationship. You know why I changed my mind about things is because I believe people. Like I'll read an argument and I can, I can find, like, hell, I can find another argument. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like I can find another argument. The thing that actually really want, makes me want to change my mind is people. I want to have a relationship with those folks. I like this person. I really like the way they say that. Uh, you know, again, we come back to 
the incarnation wasn't just this useful tool because God saw a problem and there was this way that God needed to like solve this problem. The incarnation was also an instruction of what truth looks like. And it's human. Uh, it's a person in a body with history and context and culture and emotions uh, that eats and sleeps and dies. Um, the truth is that the, the incarnation announces a different posture, a different posture in relationship to truth, which is to say it's relationship. So when I change my mind, I change my mind because of love. I don't change my mind because of rightness. I don't change my mind very often on the strength of an argument because you, we all know at this point is you can have the strongest argument in the group and everyone will walk out disbelieving you because you're a jerk. Mm. True. And there are ways in which that's funny, but there are also ways in which that's just biblical truth yeah. is like the whole truth in love thing. Like it's both like it's that's that's it's a it's a play on words like the, the truth in love. It's not like the truth in love and they're separate things. It's like, no, it's the truth in love is one thing. And if I don't have the love part of it, I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change mine. It's relationship that moves us away from these terrible spots, period. Hmm. That's awesome. As we wrap up, um, in 20 years, 20 years from now, what do you, what do you hope or what do you think Christianity looks like? What's mm -hmm. trending? How should we be looking to shape that? Smaller, uh, more local, mm -hmm. less easily identified, um, <laughs> not highly personalized to like the individual level per se, but, um, but yeah, le like more like respectfully divergent um, that this does not look like that over there. And that's not just okay, it's necessary. Because if you are in relationship and practicing faith with people in, in Dearborn, Michigan, um, that's going to be really different than it is if you're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, mm -hmm. uh, or, uh, or if you're going to, or in Tampa, Florida versus Orlando, Florida or in San Francisco, California versus Martinez, California. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're in Martinez, California and you're in the Hidden Lakes neighborhood right here, um, the faith practice and relationship will look different than it will if you're downtown Martinez by the refineries. Mm. Um, I, want it, I, I hope and want it to look smaller, uh, more, per, more actually personal, <laughs> more, <laughs> more interpersonal uh, and less easily identifiable as a monolith. Mm. That's great, man. Um, I'm just thinking of some of the answers you gave earlier about how we gauge growth. And I think that's totally in line with what you're talking about now. And um, I think the hard thing is seeing how generations kind of grow over time. And just I'm grateful for voices that are kind of helping point to some of those ambiguous or like um, uh, difficult to pin down realities. But I think that's right. Just um, we had a guest on before that talked about getting away from the schematics, as you were saying, and getting more to yeah. just values that we as a community are going to uphold uh, yeah. despite differences. So and if the with kingdom that, is that thing that is, you know, what you said is and is not yet, then part of what you're talking about is like, they're not muddy, they're just yet undefined. And that's yeah. the not yet part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, another phrase and mantra we love to talk about in the church, right? <laughs> Already, but not yet. Okay, yes. so what do we mean? Well, it's amazing how often we want to say it's already, and we already have all the answers. Yes. So with that being said, uh, you know, Justin, what, 
who or what are some voices or resources that have been shaping you recently, right? Like as, as much as we've talked about kind of being in transition and continuing to grow, like what are the things that you are kind of going to or the wells that you're drawing from? Sure. So I'm, I'm in a spiritual direction uh, apprenticeship with a person named Tara Owens, who runs a thing called Anamkara Ministries. Um, She's brilliant wise and i'm learning a ton there uh i'm also in tutelage with a person named donna hadasaki who is who um runs a program uh for senior young life staff that's a spiritual formation spiritual care um like i guess like an extension of young life it's not really it doesn't do what young life does it ministers to and provides spiritual resources for people who do what young life does those are the two primary spots in which like i am I am finding myself like intentionally, I'm learning and growing and changing in those spots really specifically. Hmm. And then Justin, just to kind of close, we, we've, we've talked a little bit about the, the deconstruction process in your life and, and that sort of stuff. But um, for somebody who's listening um, to, you know, just opened their podcast app, clicked on with Justin McRoberts, um, somebody who's struggling with this process or, or like you said earlier, like maybe they, they don't know how much they like themselves right now, um, or they're struggling with the shame, the isolation of deconstruction or just unknowing. Uh, what would you say to somebody in, in those places? Get help. <laughs> um, go get help. Uh, if you feel lost, you probably are in some way, shape or form. So, uh, seek spiritual direction you go to onamkaraministries.com or just or go to if you're instagram it's just at onamkaraministries and ask about a spiritual director uh get a coach uh have a therapist go get help it's hard (laughs) if you're specifically if you're a pastor you've been a pastor and a leader like it's one of the hardest jobs in america 41 percent of pastors are clinically obese burnout in the pastoral realm is like like average burnout is something like 60 percent it's just ridiculous. The suicide rates among people who, who have lived in the pastoral realm are substantially higher than they are in most professions. It's insanely hard to do what we do. Insanely hard. And we don't give ourselves credit enough for the amount of abuse we have heaped upon our own shoulders. So if you're feeling lost and tired and you, like you are, so freak, man, go get help because you're worth more than that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us um, today, Justin. And uh, for people who are looking to engage more with your work or, or seek you as a coach or, yeah. <laughs> or just find you, find you on social, what can, where can they go? I'm everywhere, man. Uh, Instagram, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I've got a website. So if you just search my name, Justin McRoberts, I spend most of my time between uh, Twitter and Instagram, but I'm, I spend some time on Facebook and I answer my emails if people email me. So if you go to the website, I'm there too. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for just spending this time with us and just sharing just where you are and how you're thinking and, and the hope and uh, hope you have for what comes next and what comes now. So uh, thanks for being with us. And uh, we look forward to whatever comes next, man. All right, man. Talk soon. Take care. See ya.